This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 97, where we're looking at Iron Fist, season 1, episode 8, The Blessing of Many Fractures. Welcome back, Defenders, Defendees, and Defendettes. We are here with episode 97 of Defenders TV Podcast, where today we are looking at none other than Iron Fist Season 1, Episode 8, The Blessing of Many Fractures. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. And I'm your final host, Derek. Welcome back. Yeah, guys, we're, we're past the, the halfway point. We're, we're in the home stretch, as we can say, of Iron Fist Season 1. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying as soon as I started watching this one at about midway point I kind of went I'm dying I wish I was watching it with you two so much right now I, I was just like I really wish I was here good news is Iron Fist looks amazing in 4k oh really it really oh, very does good. excellent yeah. yes we forgot to mention on one of our previous podcasts Chris got himself a 4k television and didn't even have to resort to setting up a Patreon account you'll be paying no. that one off for a while Chris though no, no, no. Luckily, um, no. It, there was a five-finger <laughs> discount falling off the back of a truck. Uh, discount. <laughs> That's really, really bad for televisions, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I managed to catch it as it fell. Excellent. But so, how does it look in 4K? Yeah. It looks spectacular. Um, this was one of the first... Derek, now you know more about this. If I'm correct, this is one of the first that was completely filmed in 4K. That's correct. Um, and it's not up and they actually down-resed it to 1080p and 720p for HD for mm-hmm. the other streaming services. So um, I'm now running it full 4K. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I actually have implemented the Dolby Atmos cinema surround sound <laughs> so you can hear things coming from left to right. So in some of the fight sequences, they've even implemented that so the sounds do come from kind of different areas of your kind of speaker setup. Okay, that's it. We are decamping from this podcast room and moving into Chris's next job. <laughs> it's amazing. Visually, it looks spectacular. Excellent. Well, kind of cool that we've that you've got the experience of 4K, Chris. Yeah, we, we did talk about that before, so I uh, think we'll definitely have to check an episode out later on in the series. Brilliant stuff. All right, so let's get. Um, I think we, we've pottered and pandered enough. Let's jump right into it. Um, for uh, any of our new listeners or returning listeners, um, the way that we review the show is that uh, basically we take our top five points, all five of them, and then we do some notes. It is a very spoiler filled, so if you haven't watched episode eight yet, pause where you are now, pick us back up at a later stage. Um, and this is coming out on Friday, the 7th of April. And we then have new episodes every Tuesday and Friday, every week, all leading to the end of this series. Um, so the next episode will be out on Tuesday, the 11th of April, in case you're wondering. That's right. And just a quick reminder, this is episode 97 of our podcast, which means we only have three more to go before episode 100. So if you want to get in some feedback or uh, get in a, a voicemail to us for our 100th episode, you can just go over to the website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and click the send voicemail button and record a hello to us for our 100th episode. We'd love to hear from all of our listeners for the 100th episode. That'd be quite cool. Absolutely. And we've been promising to put pictures up of our Marvel marvel and fabulous prize uh, and we'll make sure we get round to that uh, at the weekend very soon definitely and don't forget we are also 
over on Facebook, where you can always send us your feedback, day or night, over at facebook.com forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Or why not jump over to our group and have chats with us there, where there's loads of other Defenders, Defendees and Defendettes willing and happy to have discussions with you, spoilerific or non-spoilerific. Just remember, if you're going to say anything spoilery, just give a quick shout out to it and drop it into the comments so people don't get upset. You know how everyone is. That's right. That's over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. And if they had managed to just stumble across this podcast, where could they find us? They can, of course, find us at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can just search Defenders TV Podcast in any other good podcast catcher. Uh, please subscribe to us there uh, and leave a review if you if you so wish. And of course, if you have none of that available uh, and you're working away on your computer, you can listen to our podcast on the website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Exactly. And we do really appreciate everyone who has reviewed us so far over on iTunes. Um, but please, if you haven't, we would really appreciate you if you did, mm-hmm. um, because it just helps more Defenders uh, who may be interested in our show, may be interested in the Iron Fist, Daredevil, Luke Cage, um, Jessica Jones, who could I forget? How could I forget Jessica? And of course, all leading to the Defenders, which will happen in August. That's right, August 18th. Yes, absolutely. Can't wait for that. Yeah, I had, I had a listener yes. ask today how far ahead are we are are we with our Iron Fist uh, episodes? Uh, how far ahead of the podcast we are? And I had to say, um, we haven't actually recorded episode eight. It's coming out tonight, and we've just been spending all day watching the new Defenders teaser, uh, where we have all four Defenders in a lift together. Uh, for the first time yeah. which is quite cool and Jessica powers up as well she does jump she flies <laughs> she bounces shall we say she bounces okay alright that's the breaker in between us yeah somewhere in between <laughs> I think it's time to get into the episode what do you think guys I think so Derek do you want to give us the, the old deets on who wrote and directed this episode absolutely this episode was written by Tamara Beecher uh, she has written episode 8 and episode 9 as well uh, and has also interestingly written an episode for the upcoming series The Runaways uh, Marvel's new TV show another one on another network that we don't even know whether it's coming out over in Ireland yet. Um, but we may cover The Runaways when it comes up. Uh, very interesting storyline um, from the comic books and really, really looking forward to seeing what they do with that property. Uh, the episode was directed by Kevin Tancheron. Uh, I think I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, this was one that made me really excited because Kevin Tancheron is the brother of Marissa Tancheron, one of the showrunners for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Probably still my favourite Marvel show, just purely because it's based off Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., obviously. So uh, that's my favourite comic book character. So I love that that show's still going. Uh, He's done eight episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's also directed Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, done loads of stuff in the comic book universe. But Chris... You may also know Kevin Tancheron as the director of the viral Mortal Kombat short films. Do you remember Mortal Kombat Legacy? Oh, Legacy! Yes, where they suddenly came out of nowhere. And uh, there was, I think, about eight episodes, eight eight kind of webisodes, where they showed each of the characters in a very cool, realistic um, uh, treatment, I suppose, for the first time. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, Really cool. That came from the mind of Kevin Tancheron with a camera and some uh, some really cool cast to do do some, some, a cool treatment of Mortal Kombat. Oh, wow. And I, okay, well, I can see where one of our fights that we'll discuss later on came from now. Maybe, maybe. Mm. Yes, we can definitely discuss it later on. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. 
After learning that Madame Gao's drug operations are in Anjou, Danny Rand assumes that the plane crash was targeted by the hand as his father was attempting to shut down Gao's factory. Danny reluctantly enlists Colleen Wing and Claire Temple to seek answers in Anjou. They infiltrate the facility just as Madame Gao arrives. As Danny tracks Gao, he encounters Zhu Sheng, student of Chi Lin, who uses an advanced kung fu technique and plenty of liquor to prevent him from reaching Gao. However, Danny overpowers Zhu Sheng and confronts Gao and her henchmen. After a dangerous fight with poison weapons, Danny engages his chi to apprehend Gao. Meanwhile, back in New York, the Rand board offers Ward and Joy a severance package that fractures their relationship as he attempts to accept it, but she refuses. As Joy tries to understand her brother's rationale for turning his back on their dad's company and legacy, Ward, still hallucinating badly after his trauma of killing Harold, almost reveals his darkest secret. We talked about this a couple of episodes ago, the pronunciations that we were going to do on the show get more difficult. The pronunciations that they do on the show sometimes don't even match the words that are there. So I saw Zhou Cheng in the episode uh, rather than Zhao Cheng, uh, which we believed it always was. Yeah. Uh, but definitely it was Zhou Cheng. That's why I think I've just said it as Zhu Cheng because uh-huh. I can't get my head around Zhou Cheng. But that might explain his accent. Absolutely. He um, didn't know where he was. Absolutely. And even some of the characters in the episodes uh, were being uh, criticised for their pronunciations. We had Claire Temple being criticised for her pronunciation of Anjou. Uh, I think she was she was told about three times how to pronounce it and she still pronounced it wrong um, over and over again. So, uh, so don't worry. It's not just us, guys. Uh, everybody gets them wrong, including some of the cast which is always a good thing for us because we get to say look colleen did it claire did it like we have to follow them the way they say it is canon Mm -hmm. sorry guys (laughs) we can always fall back on canon (laughs) although they didn't hear oh (laughs) maybe that's getting too deep into the points um but i think with that on with our first point point number one the continued downfall of ward's psyche Mm -hmm. wow Yes, so so much cool stuff coming from Tom Pelfrey in the series. We've talked about him on every episode for the last three or four about the breakdown of the character of Ward. Uh, another episode filled with blood in the mind of Ward. Yeah, this is really, and I think, John, you probably saw this as well uh, with the whole Shakespearean Macbeth comparisons here with the blood hallucinations. It's very on the nose, and while I, I love elements of it, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm giving Tom a lot of props for the way he's played this character mm-hmm. um, and the acting he's doing, which is fantastic. But I, I think this could this episode kind of dragged out this this macabre psyche break that um, the breakage of his psyche, I should say, um, a lot. Interesting. I thought this was one of the um, better elements of, of this episode. Um, I think Tom Pelfrey um, really excellent as ward um i i kind of enjoyed the continued breakdown i think um like he he only killed his father in the last episode mm-hmm. so i like you could see That's that true. you know there's trauma there there's guilt um and, and that becomes like increasingly compounded when obviously you have the the severance package from the Rand board, and just then that whole play out with Joy, where she obviously wants to try and retain the work that she's sort of done and um, completed, 
in you know the company that used to be run by a father yeah. and, and that kind of legacy knowing that obviously he's dead in her mind whereas ward has had to deal you know for what 10 12 years with the stress of a keeping um his dad's uh living uh, and breathing presence secret from from joy but also the fact that then she you know she's kind of projecting effectively the advice that her own father gave to him on Ward's own actions, that admiration. And, you know, it kind of compounds um, this slip into guilt and probably the after effects of of what he's done. I mean, his father and all that Shakespearean element, he's also murdered and he does know right from wrong from a from a police perspective to some extent because he he tried to throw all that stuff at, at Danny at the start of the series, but it kind of compounds everything for him. So I kind of really enjoyed that. Um, but I say that, uh, and I, I kind of need to just correct myself a bit because, of course, I really enjoyed at the start how he absolutely plays dumb when he's caught coming into the penthouse uh, and Danny is there. And I, he's a bit chameleon-like. You don't quite know what um, way to take up uh, Ward Meacham, really, because here he is effectively, you know, hiding his crime to Danny, as you would, you know, and then sets about with the bleach and all that to, to wipe away uh, the crime. I have to say there's some great moments with Tom Pelfrey in this episode, uh, particularly that one you're speaking about where he meets Danny Rand in the uh, in the penthouse, and it looks like all of his Christmases have come at once, but he can't show it off to Danny. He can't show that Danny's playing right into his hands. He's taking credit or taking responsibility for the death of Harold Meacham here. He's saying, <laughs> this is all my fault. If I hadn't uh, chased down the hand, then this wouldn't have happened to Harold Meacham. Meacham. And you can just see it in Tom Pelfrey's eyes. Just He plays the, the moment beautifully where he's trying to kind of mourn the death of his father, also get angry at, at Danny Rand, and he's, you can see him kind of going, complete relief here, brilliant, somebody else is going to take responsibility, I can pretend that this isn't my fault. And then obviously later on in the episode, which, we'll, which we will talk about, but the moment when Ward is also kind of going, and I could get away with this with a couple of million in my pocket and run away um, after losing everything, I'm suddenly back on top, Danny's taking responsibility, and I could be walking away with a bank full of cash. That's quite cool. Absolutely. I think um, that opening was was really good and and played for what it was, which was just this sort of Machiavellian-like chameleon. I mean, he he really is embodying all these things, and that's why I think, Chris, when you say Shakespearean, it absolutely Mm -hmm. is is that. All he needed to do was put his dad in a pie and eat him, Um, (laughs) or get Joy to eat him, and it it, it would have really been dysfunctional uh, Shakespearean uh, family. Um, Really, really good. But, uh, yeah, for me, um, I think Ward, and, in fact, actually Joy Meacham here, She's been a bit in the in the background, I think, since some of the earlier episodes. Um, you know, she was kind of Danny's champion, to quote uh, a Roald Dahl uh, book. But it was like, you know, she kind of just went into the background a bit, was there to maybe just serve the story mm-hmm. uh, on a more mechanical uh, basis. But I think in this uh, episode, her interaction with Ward, uh, you know, just not understanding why he's taken her to this penthouse and all that element and really comes um, 
to to fruition with, with Joy Meacham. And again, you see a bit of forward thinking from Joy as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I like that. She is equally conscious of the cutthroat world in which she works in this top end of business. Yeah, absolutely. Before we go on to that next point, Chris, do you have anything else on Ward's actual breakdown in the episode? Yeah, and I, I think I, I may have come off quite harsh. I do enjoy the Shakespearean element of it, which is I think what's What's causing a bit of friction in my mind when I looking at his story again, I'm saying I'm not saying this is about thing. Tom is amazing uh, in this role. Um, it's that the, the quick split and change of the character between. So, for example, that bit where he caught Danny or Danny caught him, for example, mm-hmm. he he we see him there just going very being a very psychopath having psychopathic or psychopath-esque um, <laughs> elements to him where he just flips. He, he suddenly just becomes this kind of quite shocked and then he's almost smiling on the inside mm-hmm. to a point where he, he tells his sister everything later on and then has this high hallucination of the, the blood in the elevator. Yeah. It's just so fractured. In, I know I, I, I get they're trying to show that he is coming apart but it it's jumping so much in terms of one minute he's quite he, he he's holding it together a lot and then next he's completely broken and then so for example when he was seeing the blood on his wrist mm-hmm. and he's breaking and you can see him he was literally falling apart there back to when he's holding it together then he's breaking it's just i would expect more of a steady decline versus this very kind of mountain-esque peaks and troughs peaks and troughs of uh, kind of lucidness versus the the complete psychopathic or kind of imaginations hallucinations right well i think i think you've actually hit one of your normal notes chris the name of the episode the blessing of many fractures that is pretty much the mentality of ward meacham in this episode uh, he is fracturing um consistently going back and forth between his personalities he used to be a person that was very much in control um He's now spiraling out of control because his dad's gone. His dad was the one, the guiding hand behind him for the entire 12 years that Joy thought he was dead. Um, I kind of liked the ideas, particularly the blood streaming down at the lift just as he was trying to bring Joy up to it. Uh, to me, that was kind of saying in a little bit little bit of an arty way, a little bit of a, a Shakespearean way, as, as, as you both mentioned. It's kind of saying that he's finally going to break the big secret that he's been keeping back from Joy for all of these years, the thing that's been pushing the two of them apart. And then he kind of makes that realisation that if he does, if he tells her that that her father's been alive for 12 years and is now dead, that he may have to reveal to her not only did he keep the secret from her, but he also has to reveal to her that he was the murderer and he was the one that killed him. So I think that's what it's trying to show by using a little bit of a trope from from Shakespeare. But I think it actually works really well. It's like it's, it's, it's like you're seeing inside his mind where he's going, but this will all just end in blood. What you think you're going to get out of this, which is a closeness back with your sister, you're not going to get that because she's going to blame you for his death. I think that's what it's trying to show. God, I should ha- I should really start watching this shit with you guys again, she in the same room, <laughs> just so because actually the more we've discussed this now, I'm going okay, that makes a hell of a lot more sense. <laughs> See it now, I actually it, it it's getting better in my head. Yeah, I think as well. It's also just it's the different relationship um, that he has. I mean, I think Joy is the one 
person that he truly cares about um, and has a protective brotherly kind of sense with, um, you know, his relationship with his dad was hugely fractured and and, and hugely kind of aggressive, really, uh, and and a power play. Um, And to an extent with Danny, he just doesn't really care about him. Absolutely. I think with Danny coming uh, back into the world of the Meachams, he he had to read a text message, you know, read an email, uh, get more involved with his father, who I don't suspect he cared that much for. Yeah. Um, and, and that added pressure. And I think that's what, you know, the, the taking of the pills to relax um, all that, the, there's an anxiousness about him in relation to his father you know the one-fingered salute all around the office is that he feels confined constricted by his father so i i think i think the degradation of ward has happened over a number of episodes definitely yeah but it's certainly ramped up now and that's maybe because he's got no choice Mm -hmm. like uh he has to get rid of the evidence he has to um, almost it's you know fight or flight kind of thing um he he's he's running on uh basic instinct the great thing was it also reminds me of the shining with the blood i, I was expecting two twins to to pop out uh of the lift at, at one stage um and i i think that again you know it could be a reference in in terms of you know the mental degradation that obviously occurs with uh, Jack Nicholson's character. Here's Johnny. That's me. Without a doubt, yeah, I think I think that's definitely a reference for for um, Kevin Tatcherone, uh, the director of the episode. I think that's something that he's definitely bringing in here. I think we should go on to the next point, and I think we've kind of talked around it a little bit, uh, which is obviously Ward and Joy's offer from Rand Enterprises uh, from Lawrence uh, now looks like the CEO of the company he's really taken a good position out of this um, he was a member of the board he seems to be really relishing the idea of getting rid of the Meachams uh, particularly I love the little touch that their offer is a hundred million dollars which was the insult that they paid to this guy calling himself Danny Rand to get him out of the picture I love the idea the two of them kind of look at it and go hang on a second are you messing with us are you doing the same thing that we did to Danny Rand as an insult i uh, love that little touch i also love that lawrence again like any any really bad evil ceo he's just spends most of his time in his office playing golf uh which i thought was a nice little touch <laughs> as well uh, i really like this character because he's really kind of rubbing it in with them and i love that he says the trigger word toward uh your father would be so disappointed in how the two of you are treating this company it's a great little moment and ward cracks a little bit more again with this trigger of your father would be disappointed in you, or all these people telling him that he know, they know his father better than he does, yet he's the only one that spent 12 years with the man. Um, love those little trigger points with Ward as well. Yeah, no, I have to agree. I, I really enjoyed um, <laughs> this part of it. And I the, the, Lawrence just, he has the making of being this, I don't know whether he's been underused, or I considered him just a literally, a, not even a supporting character, mm-hmm. Um, initially and I kind of yeah I know who he is and he's just there in the background and ever since the last two episodes I'm like wow okay (laughs) they they made me now go oh yeah you're you're slightly evil because even the bit where he um he starts then saying "I, I think I'm starting to think less of you because you and your sister should be together on this yeah 
etc and you're fractured you're you're breaking apart again okay now i'm seeing it the fracture part <laughs> okay it's all coming to me yeah the insult around the hundred million was fantastic yeah um it's still it's still not a bad thing i'm kind of going in my head i'm like yeah okay <laughs> if you want me to take your early retirement for a hundred million uh-huh. i could do that was anybody else doing the maths when ward was when ward was reducing the money down and saying i'll take 30 million and i'll just sign the papers and i'll disappear now and because you have to eat a little bit of crow, I'll give you half a million. Was anybody else kind of going, would he take half a million if he knew you had 30 million? In the <laughs> well, absolutely. Like, he's the CEO of a company. Half a million must be almost nothing in comparison to the 30 million he knows you have. Yeah? Yeah. I know you'll need 30 million if you're Ward's age. You're probably going to need many, many millions to keep your lifestyle up. So I understand that. But it felt like a little bit of a small backhander. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) like, I I thought that, um, you know, again, I loved how it connected in with Ward um, just by the fact that, you know, it's his way out. Mm -hmm. Finally, he doesn't have to live up to his dad's reputation. He doesn't have to listen to the comparisons. um, But at the same time, it's kind of driven a wedge between him and Joy because, you know, he wants he wants the, the exit. Joy certainly doesn't um she wants to fight for what she's created at at the company and i like that little bit of backstory with joy that you know she she really had to fight to 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 get acceptance you know that's really really good i think um chris do you want to take the uh the little easter egg that's in here oh god yeah (laughs) i was so happy when they did this i love the fact that when they were taking those photos uh, which constitutes the dirt on the RAN board, mm-hmm. it was taken by a drunken female PI Yes, in New York. I can only kind of think of one <laughs> drunken female PI that we know of. So our lovely Miss Jones was the one who did this. And it's, it's actually, when you think about it, it is the kind of skeevy, kind of despicable thing that you probably would have done for a quick book. Um, and again, the good part of this, it connects them. We're seeing more connections mm-hmm. because when, hopefully in Defenders, you'll you'll see Jessica storm into Danny's office. Joy will be there going, oh, no, you got all that <laughs> skeevy details for me. Oh, ha, ha. Yeah. There'll be a nice exchange there at some point. Um, but I was, I was again, I love the fact that they're, they're still making some of those connections. Yeah. Uh, Really, really, I really loved it. There's another one to another defender later on. There is. <laughs> there is, definitely. Uh, yeah, I love this little connection to Jessica. Nice little touch. And I, I think we'd mentioned it in Luke Cage a couple of times when he was looking for a lawyer that they never mentioned Matt Murdock at all. You know, this is actually another one of the defenders who is helping out another character. They don't know her name. She's not. It's not been shared with Danny. It'll probably never come up again. But I like that they, they are referencing that if you want a PI to get this kind of dirt, it is Jessica Jones you go to. And I like that little touch. Nobody else can do the job like Jessica does. Um, Absolutely. I can imagine that she was uh, down in a bottle of Jack or something as well while she uh-huh. was taking the pickies. Um, but and I, mean, I, think, yeah. I think even Ward calls out that how did you get something, how did you get these kind of photographs? And nobody else other than a superpowered superhero who can jump up 15, 20 stories of a building uh, Outside could get these kind of photographs. A nice little, uh, nice little touch there that it's, that it's definitely her. No other PI could do the, what the job she does, right? Yeah, because she could, she could just literally fly up the building and take photos. If she could fly, she would. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the seven degrees of separation on this show is getting uh, less and less, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt Wilson Fisk will be someone who um, will, you know, duff up someone in prison for war or something. When Lawrence ends up going for prison because of his outrageous photos. <laughs> Not entirely sure what he was doing in the photos, but it mustn't have been good. No. I no. reckon. Don't probe too deeply, John. <laughs> Getting thrown in a cop car, never a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think with that, um, it is time to go uh, intercontinental um, with our 80 days around the world. Um, or should we say, well, 10 hours by corporate jet, which <laughs> thankfully he got into before it was taken away from him. That's very true. Uh, because, uh, so maybe he's now a fugitive on the run because he's stolen Rand property. But yeah, we have uh, Danny, Colleen and uh, Claire Temple on a good old jolly to China. Kind of. <laughs> before we go in, I'm, I'm generally not a negative person about about these shows. That was a warehouse just south of New York with a little bit of, of Chinese writing on the outside, wasn't it? Um, I don't think we were in China. I got a general sense of those scenes at the Madame Gao's warehouse or collection of buildings at the front that there was an element of underfunding going on with the Iron Fist uh, series. Yeah. Um, it looked like we'll chuck a blind... Uh, man on one corner and and a bit of a a banner on one side of the building and we'll call it China Um, and even just their lookout positions seem to be um, fairly blatant uh, (laughs) for super warrior ninjas who can lower their heartbeat to sense their surroundings that um, you know they could hear the three of them chatting away they kind of did have a feel of teenagers uh, illegally drinking diamond white or book fast out of you know the parents car uh, <laughs> rather than undercover it yeah. did it, it kind of took me out of it a bit i have to say and it is kind of a bit of a negative it just it didn't feel right for some reason it didn't feel like china uh, at all and increasingly um i think this was the episode where I suddenly then went, why are these hand ninjas not the same as the ones in Daredevil? Why have they got golf caps on rather than being like in that ninja outfit like we saw in Daredevil season two? I, I felt a bit of disconnect in this. These these scenes were it was at the warehouse um, and with the the hand operatives um, because they didn't feel menacing. They didn't feel like the the hand operatives of Daredevil season two. I know what you mean. I think that it's like as if they're a different faction completely from the ones we saw in, in Daredevil season two. Whether there was just no discussion um, about them being any different. Obviously, Danny doesn't know the difference. So in story, it doesn't really matter to Danny. But it feels like we should be seeing the same kind of hand ninjas in in this show. Um I know in, in Daredevil season two they were all uh they were all kind of connected around Nobu the ninja. So all of the all of them looked very similar to Nobu. Um these all seem to be much more connected with Madame Gao. So maybe it is just a different faction of the hand, but and maybe it's not explaining it because 
well, it doesn't need to for anybody else who isn't watching all of the shows. But yeah, it does feel very incongruous to what we've seen before. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, just the 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 fight that Colleen had with one of the the, the hand guards. Um, I actually really enjoyed the fight. I thought it, uh, the sword fight and all that. I thought mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. But um, I was thinking, why doesn't the hand operative have a katana? Um, she kind of seemed to have a broadsword or something like that with a bit of a tassel at the end. And I wasn't entirely sure um, whether it's just a different type of sword because as well, the hand is Japanese and we're in China. So obviously different kind of weapons depending on, on the the culture. So mm-hmm. I assumed it could have been that. Yeah, so you, you literally hit the nail on the head uh, and we can kind of get into that more. But just to give, yeah, to give you an answer, that is a kind of a standard uh, Chinese martial arts uh, sword. Uh, I can't think of the saber's name. If you remember Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and some of those, uh, that would be the standard. Uh, they wouldn't have used a katana in Japan, uh, in China. They would have used these more. Um, they were kind of more malleable and they were more... Um, fluid and allowed for more graceful movements of the kind of the the, the martial arts that they would have done around those times or sorry not around those times back in the olden day when martial arts was kind of more standard for guns uh but it would it was almost malleable it was kind of bendable uh so when they would kind of they could do flicks but yeah you were right it's just a difference there perfect Um, grand there we go no i'm really glad that that's the case actually i kind of thought it might be um, but I just wasn't sure because um, obviously the katana is definitely Japanese, and in in China they would have had a different tradition of of, uh, of sword making. And um, I believe it's a Chinese sword, a Tai Chi sword. That might be why the hand ultimately then looks different. In that they're not in Japan, so they're not Japanese ninjas as such. Yeah, so it could be just a different faction. Yeah, but it just. Yeah, it, it took me back to um, underage drinking, basically. I I, I got to jump in here as well because for a a an undercover secretive um, secret society that's trying to stay in the shadows, your guards typically should carry guns and not large martial arts weapons when they're just walking around because that kind of sticks out. If they're at least carrying guns, it's like, okay, they look like security guards. <laughs> but if they're carrying... One guy was carrying a staff with the blade, a bladed staff at the top. Mm-hmm. And another guy, two guys were carrying swords. Uh, I think one guy was c- kind of full-on carrying kind of almost like those bladed nunchucks. Yeah. Uh, and then the one that was carrying what, a similar weapon to Nobu, uh, if I can remember, that Nobu used in the warehouse in season one uh-huh. of Daredevil. Which is, you know, those kind of, it's on a chain. Yes. But it's, yeah, that that type of thing. And, like, that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. True, but they do call that out, don't they? There is a moment with uh, one of the guards talking to Madame Gao as they come into the place, as they hear the car horn beeping from, you know, five or six feet away from the front door. Um, they do mention that that's not a local because the locals know to steer clear of this. So they're not, so they don't need to cover up who they are. It seems like all the locals know that this is where the hands warehouse is basically they would only be staffing it with these type of people to actually protect the place if it ever gets attacked so okay we're going to do an experiment you run at me with one of their weapons i'll take my gun 
<laughs> and we see who is better defended <laughs> against. <laughs> the pen is mightier than the sword, Chris, and the sword is mightier than the gun, and paper beats rock. <laughs> And then you have your lizard and your Spock. <laughs> uh, but, like, I, okay, I, look, just as soon as I saw those weapons, I mm-hmm. was like, okay, Danny just needs to go in with the immortal AK-47, and he's sorted. <laughs> Aren't they lucky he doesn't believe in that? <laughs> He's been breaking yes. guns the whole time. Maybe that's what it is. The, the word got back that this guy takes apart your gun, and it's, <laughs> it's becoming really expensive. Get some weapons together. That's true, that's... actually, yeah. <laughs> we, ha- we have a gun disabler. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think just that it w- it just felt weird the whole Chinese doc um, scenes definitely. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, this kind of is a side point for me. The homeless man, yeah, who can speak Chinese and then also speak English and just magically knows <laughs> everything about them. I was like, wow, that's um, okay. He was also disfigured. I don't know. Unless he comes back at a later point. He better be coming back at a later point. <laughs> he, he has to be. He felt like he had been dropped there by an alien. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he just happened. And in fact, yeah, if I had seen the Star Trek transporter sort of hit there, I would have been convinced it was uh, Captain Kirk or, or Spock coming down uh, to, you know, do some kind of helping the timeline or something like this the man did seem to be like just plonked the and i again i think that's what gave the unrealness to this this situation it could be another member of the immortal uh weapons it could even be given that we saw uh joe cheng whether you know he is a servant of Jilin, uh who is the destroyer of Iron Fists, or at least tries to do that every 33 years. (laughs) So again, there may be some kind of connection here, but I mean, obviously that is, again, speculation. Absolutely, and I'm going to just posit the same theory we've posited for every character in the show who isn't Davos. Is this Davos? Um, He says that he didn't always grow up poor and begging on the street, possibly because he grew up in Kunlun with Danny Rand. Um, Danny didn't see him. It was only Colleen Wing that went and talked to him, uh, and then she went away. Uh, he does look slightly disfigured, but I'm not sure whether it was the makeup or not, or whether he's just made up to look that way. It seemed very unusual that he was sitting outside the uh, one of the places where the hand were going to be, um, being another member of the Mother of the Crane order, uh, along with Danny Rand, would be likely that he... He could be undercover outside. Uh, it could their be, building. yeah, it could be. And Davos does get scarred from trying to also obtain the molten heart of Shadow the Undying. You know, he does uh, look to um, attack the dragon to gain the chi himself. In the know, comics, yeah, in the comics. So, um, you know, that could be a result of of that attempt. That yes. He gets it, but he is also um, wounded and and disfigured. Mm -hmm. So maybe he is uh, Davos. Or maybe Davos is a shapeshifter. You never know. I did. I must admit, the first time I watched the episode, it was quite late at night. And I did doze for a second around the scene. And I did think that uh, Zhao Sheng or Zhou Sheng was the old blind man. Um, when he came back and they had the fight, I just just missed missed a beat in the episode and thought... Well, there was otherwise. There's absolutely no reason for this character to be sitting down and talking to Colleen Wing. 
Um, I, don't, I don't know why. It was just something I missed for a second. I was kind of going, ooh, that's cool. When I went back to watch the episode, I was thinking, oh, that's cool. There's a there's a shapeshifter in this episode who is two characters. Uh, no, it's not that. Um, I, pres- I presume this character will come back. Uh, I'm totally on your, uh, to your point, Chris. If this co- character doesn't come back, it's another very weird moment for the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... I think with this kind of we can kind of move on. The other kind of just go with me here. Uh huh. The the around the world in eighty days. Oh wait, I mean eight hours. Piece on the private jet. Uh huh. It was kind of too. Um, let me say telenovela style. <laughs> um, was, Is that Telly Savalas? Yeah, it's a telenovela. It's just like, like the Spanish soap operas on TV. Just kind of like we're going to China. We're on a plane. We're in China. And I'm like, what? <laughs> At the same time, we're supposed to be expecting that all of this stuff is happening with war and that it's some inexplicably the time is kind of linked. Mm. But in the time it takes to get to China, stake out a place, find the place, stake out a place, and do that, literally less than uh, half a day is gone with word and joy and all that. I'm like, no. There's customs, you got to get through, like, password control, you got to find the place, ask directions. They could have found another homeless guy in the in China who directed them to the docks. I was just like, oh, Phileas Fogg would have had a harder time getting around the world than you guys did. We'll explain right it away with corporate jet. Um, that, that's okay. what got them through every check that you could possibly need to get over to China. That's true. It Landed did... at a private airport, whisked through uh, security, all the documentation done previously. Absolutely. And Danny knew where he was going, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's it. Okay. It did provide my favourite scene for Claire Temple in the season so far, where she is hugely insensitive to Danny Rand. Um, love the moment where she's like, turbulence is scary, but it's not dangerous at all. And Danny goes... That's exactly what my mom said before she got ripped out of the plane. And she goes, oh, oh, really sorry. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, that was that was a really sad moment for poor Claire. She's usually such a sensitive character. Yeah, yeah no, I think that was the funniest moment of, of, of Claire's. In one of many interjections that were very quippy and off the cuff. But, like, I gradually got a bit tired of her kind of repartee actually um (laughs) in this episode yeah i kind of wish you'd stayed in new york as well quite frankly by the end of it 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 just felt uh too uh laurel and hardy um not iron fisty um and uh i think it it just it disrupted the pitter-patter of it all and i think if we throw into that accent issues with Su Sheng, which I suppose will uh, nicely segue ourselves into point four, then I just felt it took away from the episode as a whole, to be honest. And although having said that, whilst I get what you're saying about the, the corporate jet and the timeline stuff, Chris, I actually kind of quite liked how they sort of went through his story uh, on the jet with the turbulence. I mean, okay, we've seen it in flashback. Yeah. And again, we have another case where, please just say Matt Murdock or Daredevil's name again. You know, there was another one of those opportunities. But I, I did kind of think it was a kind of more human, uh, more sensitive way of going through that story Um rather than just flashback. And I, I quite enjoyed that aspect, to be honest, within the plane, um, I have to say. 
I did, and there's another tiny negative for me. It's an eight-hour flight, and we got the same start of Danny's story again. We didn't get anywhere past how how safe he felt when the monks helped him out after his parents died. We still haven't gotten any story of Kun Lun. I thought, well, if you've gone this far with your story, Danny, why not tell them a bit more? How did you fill up the other seven hours of the flight? Sleeping and relaxing and planning, was it? Exactly. Then he also took a nice nap. I'm assuming the private jet has a, a kind of a masseuse on board. <laughs> <laughs> One part I did love about the plane journey, the iPod reference. Oh, absolutely. Which he references music being really old. It's a really old iPod still as well. But I just have this vision of Danny kind of with the headphones on, doing on a kind of a dance behind them, just kind of like you have Colleen trying to sleep, Claire's kind of pining over her her letter and then just Danny in the background with the headphones in doing like mm, bop doo da da doo he just kind of shake his head I do have something for our notes later on about that because I am the music man so I will uh, I will talk about that in a minute you but are the music yeah. man it is definitely not anything like um bop but we'll talk about it as we get into this and I am the whiskey man uh, the whiskey watch man and of course we have the drunken master here for point number four mm-hmm. uh Joe Cheng, or Joseph Cheng, if you follow um, the the accent. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I, he's more Essex Joey Chen, isn't he? Yeah, maybe. Oh, Joey! Hey. Well, it, it flipped between a Mancunian accent and a Cockney Londoner. A little bit of Australian in there, too. And a little bit of Australian. And not one for being negative, even though we've had quite a number all, all in the in, in a row um i have to say i really loved this fight actually um i loved the the work with the the drink which presumably is um maybe a japanese whiskey and i really enjoyed the the fighting style of, of joe chang here um and i think it just you know, it sh- he held himself against Danny. He taunts him again, um, and, and it's that classic aspect of you know, uh, you may think I'm the bad guy, but I uphold a principle like you do, being the immortal iron fist. I I really enjoyed that, but I, I thought the fighting style was excellent. I just got taken out of it by the um. The, the 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 dialect or it's not even the dialect the accent yeah. um fluctuations that came from Joe Cheng and I mean as the mythical slayer of the Iron Fists and servant of Chi Lun um he felt underused and unless we're going to see him in a future episode I don't think we're going to see him in a future episode. Um, and I thought it was a shame because I actually loved the fight. I loved the concept of bringing in that drunken master as well. Can I talk about this one? Absolutely. Do you guys mind? Far away. No, the, go for it. the drunken master. This is one of my classic movies that I used to watch with my cousin when I was a kid. Uh, drunken master um, starring Jackie Chan, who a lot of mm-hmm. you know very, very well. Uh, it is a fantastic fight sequence in a great film called The Drunken Master. Louis Tan, in this role as uh, as Zhou Shang, uh, does copy a lot of the moves really well. It's effectively the whole purpose of The Drunken, the drunken Master uh, stance and fighting style is that a normal uh, controlled fighter would not be able to do these moves. You have to be completely relaxed uh, under the influence, effectively, of alcohol. This is the only way you could possibly do these types of moves. The Jackie Chan movie has... A great sequence where he takes on seven guys 
and gets drunker and drunker and drunker throughout the scene <laughs> because that's what gives him his power to be able to do the moves against them. Uh, it's classic. I remember before the days of YouTube kids uh, wearing out the videotape that we were watching it on by rewinding the scene over and over again. It's great that you can just watch the four minute clip of the fight uh, over on YouTube now. So go YouTube it. Jackie Chan, the Drunken Master, excellent fight sequence. And they do it justice in the show, I must say. Fair juice to Lewis Tan, he knows how to fight. Absolutely, um, really it's, good. It's a great moment. You can see the frustration of someone as um, controlled as Danny, someone who's as good a fighter as Danny, trying to fight against somebody that's just kind of yeah. rolling out of the way all the time, uh, who's completely nimble around him. It's, it's a really cool to have those two styles against each yeah, other. Yeah, and he lands some, like bad punches they're like danny's there chucking up uh blood coughing up blood mm-hmm. from like repeated uh punches to the chest and that like great backflip kick um i yeah, I, I thought the fight was excellent I, yeah. and again just the taunt evident in how he fights not just um the words that he speaks mm-hmm. uh was was really good yeah he gets a bit of a beating as well off the iron fist um definitely so john you, you kind of touched on it earlier about Chang and his his comic book counterpart. Do you want to take this? Because I think that might be might slightly explain the the shifting of the accent, perhaps aside from the drunkenness. I don't think it will. Yeah, in in the comics, Joe Chang can morph in into different shapes and, and take on different forms, uh, and that might explain. Uh, why the accent was uh, fluctuating. But I suppose the thing is, unless he's fleshed out and you're given that reason, um, it just comes across as odd on the um, on the show. And yeah. I, I think that's the thing. It's like, um, I mean, yeah, it's one of those fine balancing acts that you have to do. You know, uh, people who read the comic books you know, are basically in two camps. Either, you know, you can take artistic license with characters and use them, or, you know, you like to see them maybe, um, you know, portrayed, or not even portrayed, but just written in a way that honours the source material. And I, I, I do think that with uh, Zhou Sheng, he is one of, at least in the recent past, you know, a, a big bad of of Danny Rand and the Iron Fists throughout the ages, mm. that he deserves a bit of reverence, and and maybe we'll get that. It's not to take away from that scene of the fighting; like it was absolutely awesome, um, and in many respects, that's kind of why I want it to be um, fleshed out in terms of the character, because I think it would give it even more. And it's whether some of these characters are being used in in a way that advances an Iron Fist narrative or whether it's just being used because, well, we need someone here at this this moment. Mm -hmm. But it could have been, you know, 26 hand operatives that tried to stop him. And he could have done an amazing fight scene where he's summoning the double-edged sword of his master previously. Uh, But instead they've chosen uh, Zhu Sheng. And I think... It's just an interesting choice, and look, there you go. They've gone with it, and that's fine. It'll be interesting to see what what or if anything happens in other episodes. I've also just realized I started off saying Zhao Cheng, then Zhou Cheng, and now I'm Zhu Cheng. So um, please take your pick, uh, and please tell me uh, which 
uh, how I'm pronouncing this. I am really now lost as to how I should pronounce this character. <laughs> it is Joe Chag in the show, yeah. so uh, so maybe we'll we'll stick with that. Uh, we'll probably come back to this point a little bit in the feedback. We've got a couple of people that have talked about this character. Um, it's definitely split a couple of our of our uh, listeners over on Facebook group. It has split them down the middle, really. Uh, some don't care. Some think it's uh, exactly the same as yourself, John. It's a it's a pretty poor treatment of a character that is quite important in the comic books. If you're a fan of Iron Fist, of course. Um, so I think we'll probably move on to that one. Any, anything else on, on the Drunken Master fight, Chris? I'll, I'll come back on the treatment bit when we talked about it in the feedback. But on, on, the, on the actual Drunken Master battle, this was perhaps my favourite battle to date in nice. the whole series. Yeah. yeah, It really was. It showed someone, on, even against like the, the, the Trial of Three, or however we want to call it, even with one of the other mortal weapons, this goes above them all, even against Scythe. This showed someone on par with Danny, um, using a different, a completely different style. Um, Danny using his style and then morphing his style to kind of go against the the to to defeat the the, the, the actual drunken uh, master style. Yeah, I loved it. It was fantastic. The camera work and the direction on this was spectacular um it really was and this is where i think with the director's previous work on the mortal Kombat. now that i know it i'm seeing it right actually probably came into play because the kick where he shoves joe into the the wall and there's a small bit of blood like the the bit where danny gets kicked in the side while um, actually, or punching Joe at the same time, it was all just filmed in a way that you, it looked, it looked like a proper martial arts, like from the from the east, like you said, the Drunken Master by Jackie Chan. They have a very particular style, in my opinion, in terms of kind of looking at that. And I think mm-hmm. some of the original Bruce Lee, like the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, etc. They had that style, and I loved that the camera went top down. And it had that top down, and I was like, it took me completely out of it for a second. I went, oh, that's a weird angle. And then I went, no, because now I can see them fighting in, in like, top down, see what they're doing. Yes. I wouldn't have thought that would be, a, personally, if you told me, okay, I'm going to film uh, I'm going to film a fight scene top down, almost like an old school GTA game. <laughs> I would go, that's ridiculous. We don't see any of the detail. But he... Kevin did it. He 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 proved that actually no, that does work mm-hmm. from a visual choreography style, a cinematography style, I should say, from yeah. a visual choreography and a cinematography style. Well, remember it he's looked, he's choreographed so many fights between Ward and uh, and Sky over on uh, over on Agents of Shield as well. So okay, so let's get on to the next big fight. I think this is our final point, and there's one that I think we're itching to talk about all of us: Danny versus Madame Gao. Well, no, Danny versus two Madame Gao operatives uh-huh. and uh, Claire and Danny and Khalid all battle them. Guys, what do yes, you think? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. I liked the, I liked the little fight sequence here. I um, thought it was quite cool. Uh, showing Danny actually working with uh, with other characters, particularly with Colleen. Um, there's a little scene that we did skip in between the two, which is obviously Danny's rage coming out uh, as he takes out uh, Zhou Shang. Um, where he completely unleashes on him and wouldn't have stopped unless Claire and Colleen came in and had his back. Um, 
I think that explains the final moment of the episode, which I know we're probably going to talk about. Um, but yeah, I, li- I liked him working with the other two. I liked I liked uh, them taking on the two henchmen and taking them out really quickly. Actually, um, wasn't a, it wasn't a long fight, but I thought it was a, a nice moment. I liked the Claire while the conversation is going on with Madame Gout. She reaches out and goes and gets herself a weapon because uh, she knows no matter how good Danny is at talking. Um, they're not going to get out of this situation. So hmm. uh, I like that little moment as Claire, as Claire goes and does that. So, yeah, the reason why I mentioned the the moment about uh, Danny losing control is that obviously the end of this episode is Danny reigning in control and not killing Madame Gao. Um, this is something that was mentioned earlier on in the episode. He says to, he says to Colleen, if I find out she has anything to do with the death of my parents, I will rip her apart. And that scares me. And Colleen says, um, is it because you lose control? Um I, I know what you feel like you're the one that, that allows me to keep control. So this whole thing has been building up to Colleen and uh, Claire being the ones that are able to help Danny control himself and control his emotions. So he is able to do the right thing, not kill Madame Gao, because if he did, he wouldn't get any further, any further explanation about why he's here, why his family were killed. He would just have had the revenge rather than doing his task effectively. So uh, I kind of liked how the scene played out the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I think I wasn't really too sure on it. Um, but I liked how it played out when I yeah. kind of read through the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the first time I watched it, I absolutely loved the scene uh, until the moment that Madame Gao seemed to be supplicant to um, to the Iron Fist. Mm. Um it felt I, I was really concerned that they had just undermined this fantastic character by making her suddenly afraid. And I can understand that she would be in the face of the Iron Fist. However, she saw him at his true potential in the challenge mm-hmm. uh, where he's fighting Scythe and like time seems to slow down and you see the the wonder on her face you know she still has the presence of mind to just flick him away with, with her power mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it seemed as though that power had drained and I didn't quite understand in the first time watching why that change had taken place right but then obviously um, we watched it a second time uh, and there's maybe a few more hints there that, you know, there is a, a good reason why she has effectively and willingly um, decided to be taken by, by Danny Rand. That's right. There's the whole conversation there where she says to her henchmen, go and kill the women. Um, and Danny says, over my dead body. And she goes, not not just yet, Mr. Rand. So she's got a plan for him. Is is my feeling from the scene, and I think we're going to see this more in the next episode when when there is conversations between the two of the characters. But it feels like she has a plan for Danny that she can't let him die. She can't unleash her full force on him. And has seen that Danny will potentially unleash his full force if she doesn't do what he's saying to do. So it's it seems like she's back down because this isn't the right time to fight her battle. Perhaps. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, so I'm in agreement with you. Um, if they have not, I'm actually in agreement with both of you. If they do not do something with this, because because of that comment she made, I went, okay, she she's gonna, she has plans. She she has, she's letting herself being captured for a reason. Yeah. If not, then literally the punch she gave Danny, what 
four or three episodes ago. Yeah, two, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Two, two. Makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she has this one. Hers is the the iron push, and she can only bring it once a once a in a full moon. I don't know. It just it this kind of like I I literally it, it did make me want to go directly into the next episode, mm-hmm. which definitely one thing we're always talking about. They sometimes they know how to set up that literally. Okay, I'm I'm continuing on. I'm I'm binging to the next episode, which I found great. I like that the the rage part. Um, this the rage and then capturing the rage back for Danny, or kind of putting it up back in its box. I found interesting um, because correct me if I'm wrong. In the earlier episodes, didn't he say that he needed to be in control in order to summon the chi of the Iron Fist? He has to be in control. He has to be calm or in the battle calm almost. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think. We'd said that he needed to be in control, but he has to have a moment to control it. But he said in the heat of the battle is where he's at in the most control. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. He, he he says that it's it's when he's being punched and he's in the heat of the battle, the center of the battle, that he finds his control. Mm. But I know what you mean. There was there was an element within this episode where I was kind of just thinking, hang on, I really do not understand um, how Danny uses his power. Um, You know, is he the immortal battery where the chi takes time to, um, you know, power up? Um, Why didn't he use it on uh, Zhou Sheng? Um, When then he uses it here to punch through the door, uh, which I have to say was a fantastic effect, the way all the, the wood splinters. Um, cool. I thought it was really, really good. But, you know, he, he he's brimming with anger. He's having to be taken off that ledge by, by Claire and Colleen. I was wondering, how is he controlling his chi? How is he actually doing it? Because I keep feeling there's different reasons given for different times when he, he, he decides to unleash the Iron Fist, um, and I, I think, um, I think, hopefully, in episode nine, I don't know, um, and it's the same with the Madame Gao uh, with the comments, you know, about what plan she had. Um, I think this is, uh, you know, Crook's time. Episode nine has to show uh, Madame Gao for for what she is. They can't just sort of steal away from this and yeah. leave it till episode ten. Although they may do that, who knows? But still got four um, episodes left to go. So. Like, I think we really need to know now. Uh, After watching it the second time, uh, Derek said, did she, like, force the plane down in order that Danny could fulfill a destiny that she was aware of Mm. to become the Iron Fist? um, Yeah, as I said, and so on. Yeah, as I said, does she have a plan for him? Yeah. Because it feels like she has a plan. That's why she's not willing to kill him. That's not why, why she's not willing to take him out now. So it, it's kind of, I think we really need to start seeing some motives explained. And just one quick thing, again, I, th- I wish they were clearer that Zhu Sheng was dead uh, after Danny had lost control, because that would explain why he wasn't willing to do the same thing uh, to Madame Gao very quickly afterwards. It feels like he is dead um, because of Claire's reaction. Do you think he's okay? Um, but they also could be saving the character to bring him back at a later stage, as you've said. If it wasn't Zhao Chang, it probably wouldn't have mattered as much to a comic book viewer um, if it had been somebody else. So they could actually use it and say, Danny, you lost control and look what happened here. 
You know what I mean? You're you're no longer the hero because you've lost control. And again, he's lost control for a very similar reason to Ward losing control because somebody's pushed the button. Somebody said to him, you're no longer the Iron Fist. You're not doing what your destiny is. You're not doing what you're supposed to be living up to. I'm the person that's supposed to protect the hand. You're the person that's supposed to protect Kun Lun. And you're not doing yeah. that. And that's why he loses control with Zhou Shang. I, I'm in agreement with you. I, I don't think they killed him just more because... I'm now seeing it as Iron, the immortal Iron Fist, sworn enemy of doors and walls around the world. <laughs> like, that's the only time he uses his power. I got doors and walls around the world. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the only time he lands a punch. He has tried to use it before. Um, oh, oh well, actually, no, I, I apologize. It's doors, walls, and uh, weapons smashing against it. That is it. They are the, he is, it is the immortal Iron Fist, sworn enemy of portals throughout the world be it a wall or a door perhaps a window at a later stage but my god i am a sworn enemy of them around the world definitely i think that i mean he used it on scythe where he flung him across the room with it with a, a big punch and that's why i was thinking so why is he not using it on Shosheng mm-hmm. here and um, the guys in the psychiatric ward as well in episode two so he has used it a number of times it's it's what John said and what I said last episode. It's the rules of when he is going to use it and when he isn't and why he doesn't use it in certain circumstances and why he does in other circumstances. Maybe it's all just simply down to the fact that he's a 25-year-old kid, um, that he, he isn't fully experienced in the ways of when he should use it and when he shouldn't use it. Um, maybe it's all just down to that, but it's just not been explained well enough for me to know every time when he should and when he shouldn't and what the power is and what it isn't. I think that's where I am with it anyway. Yeah, I'm agreement. I think they just need to explain it now. They just need to go, I can't use it when I'm angry or until I find calmness or peace within my soul. It becomes harder and harder to grasp to grasp the molten heart and the focus of my G. Absolutely. Because that then just gives it dum dum dum. Okay, we have a reason why he just doesn't constantly flare up his G. Or he maybe has to train and control and learn to control it more. Maybe he just got the power and he stayed around for like an, another week, whatever he training on it, and then went to New York because it was just like I'm going like we still don't we don't know so we much. Know. Yeah, exactly. But I loved this fight. I really did. I I love I love seeing Claire and Colleen do this battle piece mm-hmm. uh, a lot because I as you said this sets up Danny can fight well with others, mm-hmm. and that's where we're, everything leads to the defenders for me, yeah. and that's setting that up. Um, why Madame Gao doesn't get involved, hopefully that will be explained in the next episode to a degree. Because you think you could just see her tottering off to the side when they're all busy fighting. You'd think she'd try and escape. But I think there has to be more to it rather than a frail old woman going, oh, no, don't hurt me. Uh, wait, there, I'm throwing across the room. Um, but I actually like Claire. We're seeing Claire actually now having not she decent she can now kind of look after herself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely a, a strong student for uh, for Colleen Wing, as we saw in the episode earlier on in the season when uh, when she was having half a lesson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's enough for the points uh, for the episode. I think we need to get on to notes. What do you think, Chris? I think 100% we do. Uh, so, guys, do any of you have any notes you would like to bring up? 
Yeah, the only note I've really got uh, for for this is I, I really kind of like the the peck from Danny to Colleen uh, when they're in the factory, the drugs factory. I I thought that was just a nice little touch and kind of just connected back to their 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 previous engagement, just to to keep her alive. That there there is a romance here, so I, I thought that was kind of a nice little tender touch here mm-hmm. uh, in the heat of all these battles to come for both of them so um i thought that was yeah i, th- I thought that was a nice little touch especially after episode. being interrupted by a uh, third wheel player <laughs> earlier on in the car yeah absolutely it almost reminds me of that scene from remember scrubs the tv show scrubs uh-huh. elliot moment killer i was just like claire <laughs> moment killer that's twice now claire come on Come on, read the room. Speaking of Claire, uh, Chris, you have the other note about the episode for this one? I have two points on this. Uh, The first note I want to talk about is the letter that Claire is reading quite um, quite, quite secretively, quite a lot, but not so secretively that no one, everyone notices she's doing it. (laughs) Um, And we're told that's not very feminine handwriting. So this can only be from her her uh, prison consort, her uh, man behind bars with the unbreakable skin, Mr. Luke Cage. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. A hundred percent. Do you know why? Because we paused it. Uh, the the opening of uh, of the episode where Claire's reading it, uh, the envelope specifically, specifically says on it that it's from a correctional facility. So it has to be Luke Cage. I will say, and I'm sorry for a tiny little negative in here, this is so frustrating that... She won't say the name of Luke Cage. They don't say the name of the drunken PI, Jessica Jones. They don't say the name of the lawyer uptown. That's that's Matt Murdock. They own the rights to these shows. It's made by the same studio. It's made by ABC. They can say the name of the characters, can't they? Doesn't it feel a little bit frustrating that the writers are yeah. avoiding human beings talking about other human beings by even a first name or a surname? It's, it feels like they're doing everything they can to not put the names into the shows. Definitely. I mean... I kind of like the reference to the drunken PI. I think that made sense in the conversation. Um, you know, that's all Joy does need to to say to Ward. She doesn't need to say this PI, Ms. Jessica Jones. Do you know what I mean? I think that made sense, absolutely. And maybe because it was, in a sense, a throwaway line within that conversation about how she got the uh, the the pictures of, of the the Rand board. So that it, it kind of makes sense in that. But we're dealing with the hand and matters of substance with regards to Daredevil or Matt Murdock. And that's why it feels strange that he doesn't get a mention, um, definitely. I'd be the exact opposite. I, I'd be thinking that they would want to avoid, for a story reason, they'd want to avoid Danny Rand knowing who Matt Murdock is or knowing who Daredevil is, excuse me. Um, but that they should drop a name like... My friend Matt is something, you know, or um, the, this P.I. Jones from Uptown, you know, because that's how people talk. They do mention a surname or a first name most of the time, you know, just just as a just as a dropped line to not mention Luke Cage in this scene uh, feels like they're con- doing a conscious effort to not put the names into the episodes. And it doesn't feel like Easter eggs anymore either. It feels like. They are genuinely trying to avoid saying the names as if it's a character that's in the X-Men universe or something like that. So I do love it when they mention the big green guy or the old man with the shield. Like, and I understand why they do that, because it's not it's in the same universe, but it's not tied and there's rights. Yada, 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 yada. We get that. 
but I'm with you, Derek. Like, it's getting to a point where it's like, come on, just just say it. Just say, oh, you you know, I have a blind friend who works up as a lawyer down the road who's been battling in the hand nonstop. I'm not going to go on this mission, but let me call him because he is kick-ass cool and he could help you right now. That will definitely not happen, though, Chris. That's my point. I know. But saying, I have a lawyer friend called Matt, that's something you genuinely say. You don't need to hand out his, his Facebook account or his phone number <laughs> or his address for his office to make it believable in the world. But saying his first name going, I have a friend called Matt, or something that would connect the shows a little bit better. Anyway, I'm getting off the negative points. Uh, I do have a fun one, which I mentioned earlier on in the episode. Um, Claire does call out all of the all the kind of music that's on Danny Rand's um iPod, finally. So she calls out three different bands. She calls out Black Alicious, which was a band that's, that was started in 1994. They had their first album in 1999. Uh, she calls out BDP, which is Boogie Down Productions featuring KRS-One, a very, very famous rapper. Um, they were around throughout the 90s as well, or early 90s. And then Big Pun, which is my favorite little Easter egg amongst this. This is a rapper that was uh, around between 92 and 2000, and it is short for Big Punisher which I just like the choice <laughs> there. So mm. Danny Rand does love his urban music, some proper old school urban rap tracks from the 90s to, to the early 2000s when he basically disappeared. So uh, like this nice touch, he's definitely going to hang out very well in, in Harlem. He's going to know the music scene uh, down, in, down in, the, in Harlem very well from all of this uh, this music that he's got having his iPod. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then just my final point, or my final note, I should say, is uh, the Steel Serpent logo again, the logo that we're seeing on all the heroin packets. Danny kind of, once again, says this is the symbol of Shao Lao, the Undying. They, they've made they've made this point twice now, three times, mm-hmm. that he thinks that Manga is doing this as a kind of middle finger in the air to um, to his, his order and to his hometown. Um, I think there may be more to this. I think they're being slightly too on the nose with this. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that there's a more, there's a greater, there's a greater meaning behind why they're doing it. Could it be that uh, Kung Lung is actually, actually doing this? Because <laughs> Kung Lung part of the hand after all? Who knows? Anyway. It, it, it's all up in the air, but I just think there's something more to that mm-hmm. rather than it just being a uh, middle finger in the air at Conlon. I'm I'm really hoping we're going to see more of it, definitely, as we go. I think that's it for the notes. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is, guys. Exactly so, is. I think it's time we, we have to defend this episode. John, I have to ask you, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist, The Blessing of Many Fractures? Uh, you shouldn't probably have come to me first, but... On that, unfortunately, I don't defend uh, this episode of, of Iron Fist. Um, I still give it three drunken masters out of five. Um, I It kind of took me out of the moment of episode seven for me. Uh, it lost a bit of momentum, um, I think. Um, I think it also kept some. I mean, I think Ward was excellent. And in that sense... Um, it kept me in that moment um, of the the high drama, the tension of episode seven for me. I, I really enjoyed episode seven. Um, and again, it could also just be how we're watching it. Maybe episode nine going straight in after Madame Gower has been taken away. 
all of a sudden it just opens and blossoms out into something that really makes uh, episode seven have maybe a bit more uh, momentum. I do feel as though it fractured a bit this this episode, even though it's in in the the title of the episode. I don't suspect they meant it to feel fractured in the way that I mean, uh, because I thought Ward was excellent, Gao excellent, uh, the uh, Zhou Cheng fight really really enjoyed but for me a few little niggles that have been in previous um, episodes really just kind of came to a head here um, such as not mentioning Matt Murdock um, I think just the the accent thing whether that was meant or whether it was just a product of what happened kind of took me out of the fight Claire took me out of the 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 trip to um, the the Chinese docks uh, and to Anzu, uh, as well as just that kind of whole feel of that whole scene felt slightly under budget. It really kind of took me out of what I thought was a really solid, tense, dramatic episode seven, um, and and that's why. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, in this case, defend this episode of Iron Fist. And that is cool because we all share opinions we like and love and we defend what we defend and we defend what we don't. But in that case, then, Derek, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? I do defend this episode of Iron Fist. Just, just, there's enough in there um, for me to have enjoyed it. Um, I still think Ward's storyline is great, but the sad part about it is I didn't know anything about Jordan Ward Meacham before this series started. I knew a bit about Iron Fist, knew a bit about Colleen Wing, knew a bit about all the characters that have been on the Defender shows. But the most interesting character that's on there now for me is Ward and Joy Meacham, which is probably an accomplishment for the show. Um, but I didn't expect to be watching a kind of show about big business in New York. I kind of expected to be watching a show about, you know, as I said in our preview show, a show about the dragon and the guy that gets his power of the Iron Fist from the dragon. So so that shouldn't be the most interesting thing when we're eight episodes into the show. I should be also interested in what's happening with, with Danny as well. And it feels like it's not balanced right at this point in this episode. It's been balanced in other episodes before, but it feels like this episode's a little bit off balance. I still defend it particularly because I'm such a huge fan of uh, Jackie Chan's Drunken Master and they did a really good reference to it in this episode so well worth the watch um i do feel budget let them down as john already mentioned i'm not going to go back into it again um but overall probably it's it's a middling episode for me i'm looking forward to getting to the next episode which hopefully will answer some of the questions that are still being set up uh here in, in episode eight chris do you defend episode eight of iron fist i'm right on the fence guys uh this is a tough one for me i do not defend it i don't condemn it it was literally smack bang in the middle. It was, as you said, a middling episode. It was the pacing was slightly off. Um, the some of the things just threw up way too many questions. Then more than it answered again for me. Um, there was some really fantastic scenes in here, as you mentioned, the drunken masters fight, um, the 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 Macbeth Shakespearean downfall of Ward, and mm-hmm. um, some of the nice shout outs to well the one nice shout or two nice shout outs to the fellow defenders, not in the way we want, but they're still doing it, which is a good thing. Um, just as a whole, I I really enjoyed it. But then also some things just completely took me out of it, like around the world in 80 days. Oops, I mean eight hours. Uh, just the, 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 the actual um, 
Lawrence versus Warden Joy. I enjoyed some of the interplay there, but again, the 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 whole thing didn't work out the way I would have wanted it to very quickly in that episode. Mm-hmm. So, and then the Madame Gao ending, just not understanding how Daddy's using his powers at this point. We should have at least a basic understanding. So, I'm hoping that just we get uh, some explanation of that soon, um, because we should, as you said. This is a show. This show is called The Iron Fist, but it's starting to feel more like Boston Legal or New York Legal, if you understand what I mean. It feels mm-hmm. like an office drama where sometimes we'll take you to the Orient uh, themed kind of martial arts and bring you to China. Well, I mean, downtown Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Like, it's just, it's very disjointed. But as I said, then the another quick upside was the cinematography. By, and the way that the director actually directed this episode from the view and the visual aesthetic um, of the fight scene, it, that was fantastic. And he did things I didn't think that I would ever want, uh, like the top-down approach. Uh-huh. And that just view of that fight was fantastic. So I literally I neither hate nor love this episode. Mm-hmm. I neither defend it or condemn it. I just It just is. It's there. I just want to get to the next episode. Yeah, I'm really hoping some of the questions are answered in the next episode. And hopefully I'll just revisit my rating and uh, and say that I maybe do defend this episode a bit more than I did when I watched it. Because because uh, it ended with Madame Gao being taken out and walked out the door by by uh, by Danny Rand. So, um, so I'm hoping the next episode takes off immediately from there and we get many more answers than what, we, what we've seen. Absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, on second watch, I enjoyed it more than my first watch. My first watch, I was hugely negative uh, about this episode. I would have given it a two. Um, I've given it a three because I don't think it's as bad as what I thought. I think it was coming straight off episode seven and, and our podcast recording and into eight. It felt just disjointed and it didn't seem to flow um and i think um you know hopefully uh, we get to find out some more exciting stuff on iron fist okay guys and with that then we have wrapping up this episode but with the way we always rend our episodes we have your feedback so i think we have some good feedback for this episode don't we Derek? Absolutely. Our, our feedback comes from our Facebook group. As we mentioned earlier on, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Our first piece of feedback comes about episode six, the podcast that we did. And that comes from Michael Booth. He says, full confession, I have no knowledge of Iron Fist outside of the Marvel Netflix universe, plus whatever I've gleaned from your podcast. Honestly, I think I represent the target fan for this show. Interested enough to get most of the Easter eggs and do a little bit of research, but not so invested in Iron Fist comic universe that I get offended at the treatment of characters. And personally, I'm happy with the level of character exposition, with the exception of Claire's backstory um, injecting summaries for the other Marvel Netflix universe. That's kind of annoying. You guys made a big deal about the Bride of Spiders and the Thunderer and how they weren't really explained. And to be honest, I was pretty happy with it. With the Thunderer especially, I got that he was the mentor and the stoic teacher of Kun Lun and that his teachings were important to Danny. You talked about him being a trope mentor and he totally was and that was all I needed at that point. So in summary... As a non-comic invested fan of the show, I think it's really hitting the mark in how much it needs to delve into the characters that show up in Iron Fist. Thanks very much for that feedback, Michael. Yeah, cheers, Mike. Um, I really appreciate that. And actually, that's something we potentially sometimes fall victim to ourselves. Perhaps we're a, a, a victim of our own knowledge in these situations. 
Um, and I think that's what, Derek, you kind of, from your less, as we said, we kind of range in our knowledge uh-huh. of the Iron Fist lore with John being the, the, the most, the, the most steeled, knowledgeable kind of our, our Shaolin master of Iron <laughs> Fist lore to me being the novice and uh, Derek being the drunken guy in the corner. Pretty much. <laughs> always. It's, we, we always kind of, we vary on that. And I actually, I'm, I'm thinking about how you're, for your feedback and how you're coming in. It could be that. It could be that potentially we're overanalyzing the, what we believe that it should be uh-huh. versus just taking it sometimes on face value. And I appreciate that. That, that is something we always need to hear. Um, we should always think definitely about it. definitely yeah no thanks uh michael i mean i think it's kind of as i said in in this episode um you know there's that balance uh to to be struck i mean i i think for episode eight this episode i wish they had fleshed uh, and given more to zhou sheng um however you know back in episode six Scythe and even the the Bride of Nine Spiders, I thought that w- for me that was fine. How how they they dealt with them there, absolutely. So um, I think even amongst uh, comic book fans or even non comic book fans, depending on how the scene is set, how it, it's done, uh, and what the end game is, um, then. I suppose you just take different things. I mean, it could be the last we see of uh, Zhou Sheng uh, in, in this show. And for me, personally, uh, I just wish maybe he had been developed more uh, as a more menacing threat um, and, and given him the power so that we kind of see a battle royale, if you wish, between uh, the Immortal Iron Fist using his weapons uh, at their peak uh, with one of his greatest adversaries, actually mm-hmm. the, the the one whose intention it is to kill them, the Iron Fist, to to drain them of their power. I think it's very specific as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for the feedback, Michael. It's really good to hear from someone that doesn't know much about the comic Absolutely. books. Absolutely. Like, like myself, you know, I've learned a lot uh, on, on this show, really talking about the characters and, and learned a lot as we've been going on. But Always good to hear from someone that doesn't read much of the comic books. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, on to a bit of feedback about episode seven. Chris, do you want to take this one? Yeah, definitely. So uh, over on the Facebook group, Ronaldo came back and said, utter savage episode. And again, Pelfrey turns in an awesome performance. Such a toxic influence Harold has always been on Ward. And when Ward finally unleashes, you can really feel Ward's cry of defiance with each blow. You also can't help but share in Ward's relief with a slow smile at the end. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I think we, we talked about that, just the, the performance by <laughs> poor Tom when he was doing this was just fantastic. And then well, I felt more actually bad for his suit as he was pushing the body in. I was like, no, you know, that's like almost a Manny level of kind of a, a, a kind of custom fitted suit. Why are you doing it to swamp juice? No. <laughs> Thank God they didn't stab your 4K TV. <laughs> that's more, that's more important to me than my, than yeah, my grandmother probably at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, granny. I'm sorry, granny. Um, Claire Payne goes on to say, great podcast as always. Thank you so much, Claire. Um, I'd like to be known as a defendette. Yes, Chris, defendette for Claire. Okay. Please. 
she also adds. <laughs> I also noticed a strong dental theme going through this episode with the smashing of teeth. And Megan at the Rand Company, the PA, lost her dental insurance because they lost a contract. And when Danny left the boardroom, he insisted that all the assistants got their dental insurance back. Nice. She may catch. have lost it again, actually, in this uh, episode if he's been fired. Absolutely. But nice catch, Claire. That's really, that's really interesting that at the start of the episode, we get a hammer through... Uh, through the dental work of, of some of the guys, then uh, Megan, all she wants is her dental plan back. Maybe she does know that Harold was in charge at the time. Thanks so much for that feedback, Claire, on episode 7. Claire also provides some feedback on this episode, episode 8. She says the opening scenes with Danny and Ward were great. Uh, what I did find slightly odd about the episode, Claire, Colin and Danny just got on an airplane to China. The ending was good when Danny spotted the poison and connected it to the pilots, and you saw Madame Gao cower slightly to his reaction. And Claire Temple slightly annoyed me in this episode, says Claire. Um, yeah, some, some good stuff I think we talked about throughout this episode. Definitely. I think, um, yeah, th- those opening scenes with Danny and Ward, and I think as well extending that to Ward and Joy were, were some of the best parts of, of episode eight, definitely. Yeah, we didn't really uh, talk about the poison uh, on the episode, but yeah, I mean, it was well spotted by Danny. Um, again, I kind of wonder whether that thought about you know the mysterious markings on the pilot's face could have been brought up in some of those flashbacks or or whatever maybe even on the plane just so that um you know it kind of took you out the moment going back to the plane crash uh, in that scene to some extent um i think the fact that danny's been reliving this for 15 years probably he has the exact memory of it but wasn't able to relay that there was something wrong with their faces at the time he was basically saying that they crashed in, in the accident it was great to see the return of that motif that we saw only in episode one really uh, of him having those flashbacks with the with the kind of white lightning um that was cool it's cool to see that back it does show that he's kind of fluxing in and out of his memories with those those white lines yeah jumping onwards uh rebecca over in the facebook group also went on to say i can't get past zhao zheng's terrible accent work even though he's british i think i may have used the words dick van dyke (laughs) at least once i'm not just you're not the only one rebecca she also went on to say also what a shame that it didn't have the significance he does in the comics. I think they took imagery and names from the comics and randomly assigned them, which isn't always a problem, but can be a tad confusing if you know the source material at all. Yeah, we're back out. Look, we <laughs> we kind of just we've gone through that in topic on feedback from topic six, but we also went through that feedback in, in or in terms of that ourselves, mm-hmm. in terms of how it can be confusing and potentially, yeah, knowledge is a burden sometimes. And I think um, that's that's definitely the baggage that we come to with the show, uh, or that many of us come to with the show if we have read the comic books. And you know, we're delving quite deep into these episodes, obviously, as we as we go one episode at a time through them. So, uh, so when you see a character that you recognise, you kind of hope that they have have been treated similarly to the comic books and that can sometimes grate a little bit. Um, Charles Villanova also says, same for me, it's kind of the mid-2000s comic book adaptations all over again. Like how the X-Men threw away iconic characters just to fill in a scene. I think uh, how it's assigned is is really important. Completely agree, um, certainly uh, 
on, on those points being raised. And of course, we do have the other side as well. Uh, Michael says, I don't have a comic background, so I didn't have any sense of this guy being something impressive. Saying that, I really liked his fight. Maybe it's the Australian in me, but I loved the drunken, irreverent attitude that just made Danny more and more angry. It was a great juxtaposition. Uh, Zhu or Joe smiling and laughing, and Danny going from quiet and surly into angry and super violent. It really allowed us to see the violence and rage simmering under his zen veneer. Absolutely. I, I mean, I do think the fight was absolutely um really fantastic as we've as we've said uh, absolutely and i think you really raised the important point of um if you are a fan of the show and don't necessarily have the comic book background you know these things are all very um subjective in that sense mm-hmm. uh, so thank you so much for that feedback michael michael we have another Australian commenting just underneath you. So hopefully you guys may know each other. Michael meet Ronaldo. Ronaldo meet Michael. Well, let's, let's get an Australian connection going. But anyway, actually, uh, Ronaldo had another piece of feedback about this um, overall episode. And he went on to say, I did enjoy the reference to Jessica Jones from Joy Meacham and the conversation with Ward by the Water. The relationship between siblings is fleshed out. And I thought Jessica Stobe did a great job showing Joy's frustration and not being closer to her brother and how she still looks up to him. When Ward eventually says he can't open up to her, despite the emotion on his face, it hits your heartstrings. What a great scene. I totally agree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about it in this episode uh, review. And yeah, Tom Prelfrey does an amazing job. You can feel his the hurt in his heart as he has to do it, but also you can see a a fracture in Joy's love and feelings. Well, absolutely. The moment when he says to her, I didn't want to inherit your daddy issues was really harsh. Really, really (laughs) harsh. Absolutely. He's such an absolute nightmare. (laughs) Thanks for keeping that clean enough, John. Yeah, I was wondering whether Joy's heart may be uh, fractured in the same way that Homer Simpson's did when he he has the heart attack and it shatters (laughs) like glass. Poor Joy. Um, You could certainly see the depth of the emotion on both of them. I thought it was really, um, really impressive scene. Absolutely. Thanks so much to everybody for the feedback. Uh, If you want to join us over in the Facebook group, just join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. If you want to send us any audio feedback that we can use in a future episode, just go to the website, go to DefendersTVPodcast.com, click on the Send Voicemail button and record your thoughts and send them in to us. You'll be entered into a competition to win a marvellous Marvel prize. Otherwise, you can always email us. You can email us an MP3 of a voicemail if you want to over at, uh, over at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And of course, as always, you can subscribe and listen at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or on any other good podcast catcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Of course, we also don't exclude evil podcast catchers either. So if you are <laughs> prefer an evil podcast catcher, you can go there too. All right, guys, I think this is a wrap for this episode. So we'll be back, listeners, on Tuesday, the 11th of April, with our review of the next episode of Iron Fist, Season 1, Episode 9, The Mistress of All Agonies. Ooh, yeah. Well, the master of all agonies is obviously Ward because he used to kick Danny in the balls every opportunity he had. So Absolutely. There we go. And so thank you so much for listening, as always, uh, and I will speak with you next time. Thanks so much for listening.
I'll talk to you soon. And of course, it's a goodbye from me too. I can't wait to talk to you guys all next week. Hey guys, how was your trip to China? Well, we committed arson, got killed by an evil cult. <laughs> how was your weekend? <laughs> I should have stayed in New York. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't really want to. There's a big green guy, you know. He just the guy with the old guy with the shield turned up. He broke. We had a party. Some guy with long hair and a hammer tried to fish me out. When Ward eventually says he can't, bracket, open bracket, o- open up to her, close bracket, despite the emotion on her Actress, face. Hang on, hang on. Says he can't open up to her, I think. Yeah. I just can't even think. <laughs> you do that Sorry. all the time as well, John. You read out smiley faces. <laughs> like sideways smiley face. <laughs> it's Siri. <laughs> Can I call you Siri? Yes. Maybe. Sorry. Let me go. For this episode, mm-hmm. we'll be back Friday, Tuesday. Le- <laughs> Friday, Tuesday, sorry. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what happens when I just read on the screen. That's why John's calling you Siri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is an outtake right there. Close bracket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I right. think on that note, thank you everyone so much for listening. I will cl- open bracket, be with you, close bracket, next time. They won't get that because I'm editing it. <laughs> <No. laughs> okay, go. Cool.